Hello and welcome to The Culture Bar, a panel discussion podcast exploring the arts and music world. In this podcast to mark National Trumpet Day, I'm joined by British trumpeter Matilda Lloyd. Matilda joined our roster at the start of 2023 and she joined me for this podcast to chat all things trumpet, ranging from what makes the instrument special, key repertoire, and where she sees the instrument going in the future, as well as hearing all about her background into becoming a professional musician. Thank you so much, Matilda, for joining us today for this podcast. Thank you for having me. And of course, to celebrate National Trumpet Day, a very important day to celebrate. Incredibly important. (laughs) (laughs) So first of all, it'd be great to hear how you first became a trumpeter for people who don't know. Yes, so I grew up in a very musical household. My mum is a piano teacher and a piano accompanist. So we had a piano at home and she started teaching me little bits of piano when I was about four or five years old Um, and sort of having piano lessons and things like that. And then when I was about eight years old, um, the story goes that I was rummaging through all the cupboards in my parents' house trying to find a new exciting toy to play with. And I just happened to stumble across my dad's old trumpet because he had learned the trumpet when he was in school. But he'd stopped at the age of 18 and, you know, hadn't, hadn't played since. Um, and I came across his old trumpet and thought, wow, this looks exciting and fun and shiny and, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, and so they let me have a go on it and I could make a noise on the instrument. So they said, OK, well, we better get us some lessons then. And the rest is history. Exactly. So I kind of, yeah, it was a, a chance, really. Did you find that access quite easy at school? Like, did you have lessons in school? Was yeah, that- I had to go to a different school to have oh, my yeah. lessons. Um, and then eventually, when I, when I went to secondary school, I did have lessons in school. Um, and then I went to Junior Guildhall and had my lessons up there. So that was really when I started to kind of take the trumpet much more seriously. And, and it sort of took over as being my favourite instrument. So I also played the cello. Oh, <laughs> yeah, of course. Just, One instrument you know, is not enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, when I, was, when I was 10 years old, actually my sister decided she wanted to play the cello. So we went along to one of these like instrument tryout days for her and I was just, you know, I just tagged along. Um, she tried the cello and didn't like it and ended up picking the clarinet. But I was like, oh, well, I'm here. I might as well have a go. And I just really enjoyed that sort of feeling of like hugging the cello. Um, so, so I learned the cello as well. I feel like you find that a lot with accomplished musicians that there's never just one instrument yeah. in their story, like in their history. Like there's always another instrument that like yeah that they were fond of when they were growing up or something yeah absolutely but it's it's been really helpful for me because you know I I understand about bowing and like string playing technique and stuff and so much of that like the articulation is like transferable over onto the trumpet um and the piano I think every everyone should learn the piano it's the foundation um and I yeah I would recommend anyone to start on the piano before moving to another instrument so it's so much easier when you can already read music and you understand rhythms and it makes learning a single melody line instrument much much easier yeah absolutely and you mentioned the Guildhall School of Music is it Guildhall School of Music yeah yeah music so, and, yeah so what ha- where did you progress after that after you um had your lessons there what was next so I was there for four years um and then once I'd finished at Junior Guildhall, that was when I finished school. So that was kind of like the last four years of school oh, through okay. GCSEs and A-levels. Um, and I would have my 
a full day there every Saturday. So I would come up on the train to London. Um, I had to, I had to get up at five thirty in the morning every Saturday oh, for four years to have eight a.m. trumpet lessons. Dedication. I know. I don't know why they put me first on, in the day, um, but it was it was always my favorite day of the week. It was packed full of. I had my cello lessons up there as well. So you can imagine, sort of tiny little. 14-year-old me with like three, four trumpets and a cello on the train in the tube trying to get to the barbican, Um, which is very, very funny. And then we'd have like all sorts of brass ensemble things as well, wind band, orchestra, brass band. Um, I even had jazz piano lessons up for a while just for fun as well to fill the day. Um, So yeah, they were always my absolute favourite days of the week and I just had such a great time at Junior Guildhall. And then, so then I went to Cambridge and did my undergrad degree. Um, I decided to do an academic music degree. I had this big decision that I think lots and lots of musicians face, which is Mm -hmm. to go straight into that conservatoire music college setting or to go down the more academic university route. Um, so I, of course, applied to the, the college and the Guildhall and the Academy and, you know, those places as well. Um, but I decided that I think for me it would have been too soon to go and just play the trumpet. I wasn't quite ready for that at that stage. And I enjoyed school and academic work and I really loved history. So I thought, OK, well, if I go to Cambridge and read music, I get to do a bit of the playing um, I get to you know learn a lot more about analysis and theory and all those kinds of things as well but mostly I'll get to do lots of history papers and music history um, which was a thing I was really interested in in discovering mm-hmm. and I learned so many things and like found so many new types of music that I love I found a passion for early choral music and like the notation that they would write in all the old um, sort of four-part chants and things like that and and I learned how to write all of them (laughs) and like transcribe them into modern day notation so I found that super interesting um and learning about periods of music like uh, I studied the history of flamenco music and um like lots of Shostakovich and Brahms and all yeah all these different things which I think has really helped shape me into a much more all-rounded musician Mm. Um, but I was still doing a lot of playing on the side. I was playing in all the orchestras there. I was also in the European Union Youth Orchestra at that time as well. So all the three summers that I was there, I was on tour with them, which was really great fun. Um, and then I was also starting to do more and more solo stuff on the side as well. Um, so it was kind of then a natural progression to the Royal Academy of Music for my masters. because um, I was already having lessons with Mark David when I was at Academy, I was kind of going up and down to London to have proper lessons with him. Mm. Um, So it made sense to then just go go on to the Academy and and do my Masters there. So that's when you specified completely in just playing the trumpet after that. Exactly, yeah. Right. Because I think there's this assumption that if you want to be a performer, then it's just a conservatoire route, when actually degrees give you such a rounded music education and performance is never sidelined it's you can no exactly exactly and and you can choose the modules and like you've you've got so much spare time you know you can choose what you want to do with it um and for me as especially I think for, for brass players it's not really realistic or even physically possible to be playing for hours and hours and hours and hours every day so when I was at Cambridge I was maybe only doing an hour and a half to two hours practice a day Uh, but I wasn't ready at the age of 18 19 to just play the trumpet all day every day but by the time I got to the masters it was you know I was I was ready for that and I knew 
I already knew at that point when I was going into my master's that I wanted to be a soloist. So I really then embraced everything that the academy had to offer with all the masterclasses and the competitions and all of that. And I learned as much repertoire as I could of the, like, the solo repertoire, the pieces for trumpet and piano and trumpet and organ and the concertos. And, and you know, I just really used every opportunity there to, to practice. You know, I had the time then. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm very pleased that I decided to go to Cambridge first. Um, but then I think doing a two-year master's as well was, was great because mm. it just gave me the time uh, and the safety, the academy <laughs> bubble. <laughs> <laughs> that bubble. It sounds like you had such a lovely, rich education all the way from you know, the Guildhall Junior School all the way up to master's level. Um, and obviously you are known for being such a champion of the instrument. So seeing as it's National Trumpet Day, let's talk about the trumpet. What do you yes. think makes it stand out as um, an instrument compared to... All the other instruments all you can the pick, all the tombers, yeah. what is it about it? I think for me, the thing that's the most exciting about the trumpet is how versatile it is and the, how many different styles and genres and like types of music that you can play with the trumpet. I obviously went down the kind of classical trumpet soloist path, but if you're someone that's learning the trumpet or interested in learning the trumpet, you can play in wind bands, um, jazz bands big bands you can play you can play pop songs you can play film music you can play in orchestras you can play in brass bands you can do chamber music you know you can be in a samba band or a funk <laughs> band or you know you can play you can do everything and that and to me that's so exciting because it just have all these different worlds and all these different styles and i i just i think you know i don't think there's another instrument that is as versatile and you can play as many different types of music and genres of music as the trumpet mm. um, and the reason why that's possible is because it's such a varied instrument in terms of the different sounds that you can make and the different ways that you can play it um, so I, yeah I think that just makes it so cool and so exciting and it's loud as well <laughs> you can be really loud with it as opposed to like the flute or something else it's the other half it's quite tricky to be loud on those kind of instruments but yeah the trumpet definitely doesn't hide that no, characteristic you can't hide you've got nowhere to hide even in an orchestra there's no there's nowhere to hide it's 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 very different to sitting in a big string section for example um but i think that that means that people that play brass instruments typically you know, have quite a lot of courage and confidence and sort of, um, they tend, to, people tend to be more extroverted and sort of social and there's that sort of fun, really, really sociable side of playing a brass instrument as well, which is lovely. Every orchestra that I go to now to do a concerto with, it's always the brass players that come up and introduce themselves and say hello and, you know, I'll learn their names and then they'll invite me to go out for dinner with them after the concert or, you know, they're, they're just so warm and welcoming all over the world. Um, and I think that's a lovely sort of characteristic and trait of, of, of people that play brass instruments, especially. That doesn't surprise me. I don't want to think about which part of an orchestra is the opposite of that. We'll keep that to people's imagination. <laughs> I'm sure there's not an opposite, but I do think <laughs> yes. that brass players tend to be some of the most friendly and sort of open people um, in an orchestra. 
Definitely. No, I, that does not surprise me at all, to be honest. <laughs> when you're performing the repertoire, do you find it's quite easy to find repertoire for the trumpet? Like, are there, is what people commissioning pieces now and, and the music that's out there, is it relatively easy to find that repertoire or do you find it's not a forgotten instrument, but is, do you think it's, is it hard or particularly easy to, to get that music? Yeah, I mean, no doubt that our kind of core standard repertoire is limited we have the sort of baroque concertos that to be honest most of those we've knit from oboes and violins and other other instruments um there's a few for natural trumpet um and then we've got the Haydn and the Hummel and the, the Neruda and those sorts of pieces and then we have a huge gap so we have nothing really um until the 20th century but there's a huge huge body of work in the 20th century um, and as you say commissioning new pieces which I'm starting to do now which is really really exciting so over the next couple of years I'll have at least two trumpet concertos a sonata with piano and a whole bunch of new pieces for trumpet and organ as well oh, wow. um, which I'm really excited mm -hmm. about so yeah commissioning a lot which is really cool really exciting and, and being able to have a really collaborative approach with the composers and with the performers might the people i'll be performing collaborating with um is really really exciting um, and also arranging so the casta diva disc was all arrangements of, of italian opera arias um so really sort of taking inspiration from other places as well particularly songs and vocal music um so i'm setting up a new duo with a guitarist and we'll be doing quite a lot of um Britain songs, John Dowland songs, Foray, Fanny Mendelssohn songs, Defia, all of these like sort of types of repertoire that otherwise the trumpet doesn't really have access to. Um, but I think, yeah, especially kind of oboe, flute music, and then especially vocal music, because I also believe that the trumpet is the closest instrument to the human voice um, because of the fact that it's actually our human body here that is vibrating to make the sound even wind instruments and bassoons and saxophones and that it's a reed that's that's making the noise so i think that in that sense the physicality the 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 throat the body the tongue the articulation you know it's the same as me speaking or someone singing the diction that's all the articulation in the tongue um so i yeah i think the trumpet is the closest you really can get to the voice. And so I think that gives us quite a lot of liberty to play their music, <laughs> which is really nice, really lovely. Yeah, I guess that's why it is possible to have an album like Casadina, which is totally devoted to, you sort of see it on the front that it's like, oh, right, it's Italian arias, but with a trumpet, like, okay. But it works, like you say, because it is, it just, it sounds so similar to a human voice. And it just, it just, that timbre it just makes it does make sense yeah exactly and and there's so much that we can do in the sound and with the articulation and the kind of production of the sound um to really create those kind of nuances and turning the phrase and that, that you can do with the voice so that's what i love about that and then on the other side of that you've got all the kind of technical virtuosity with all the variations on the on the opera theme so that really then sort of shows off all the things that the voice perhaps can't do, <laughs> but the trumpet can do because we can, you know, double and triple tongue and do fast fingering. Mm. Um, so I think that's really cool because it kind of shows off both 
both of those sort of contrasting sides of the of the instrument. So a bit of a Desert Island Discs question style question, I guess, now. If you had to pick just three pieces of repertoire for the trumpet that you could just play or listen to for the rest of your days on, a, on an island somewhere deserted, uh, what would you choose and why? Ooh. I think I would have to choose the Haydn trumpet concerto just because it's kind of the classic piece. And it's a piece that I never get bored of playing. People always say to me, like, oh, you must be sick of playing the Haydn and the Hummel. But actually, no, not really, because they're such great pieces and there's, there's always new things to find and explore. Um, but at the same time, it feels like coming home to play those pieces. And they're so sort of cheeky and joyful and elegant and playful. I love... So, uh, yeah, I think the Haydn has to be on there. Um, for something completely contrasting, I would say the trumpet concerto by Henry Tomasi, which is a beautiful French impressionistic, it's got some really like scrunchy, jazzy, cool harmonies in. And the way that he uses the trumpet is so sort of untrumpety in a way. Um, it's so different from, from what people think of the trumpet as being these kind you know, sort of fanfares and loud. And it's, it's so um, almost like flute or, you know, he just uses it in such unusual and, and exciting ways and the harmonies are just oh just gorgeous it's so impressionistic and mm. you know like late like sort of Debussy Ravel kind of style um and then a third piece oh my goodness um I would definitely take to a desert island would be the Shostakovich concerto number one in C minor for piano and trumpet and strings um I'm still a little bit cross with Shostakovich because he started out writing this piece as a trumpet concerto and then he added a piano part and the piano part got bigger and bigger and bigger until it's basically, unfortunately for us, a piano concerto with an ob obligato trumpet part. Um, but I absolutely love this piece. I love Shostakovich's music. Um, it's a piece that I listen to regularly to, to relax, for fun, you know, not, not in a kind of work mode. Um, and I do think that the bits with the trumpet in are the best, obviously. Um, <laughs> again, really, really fun, um, different characters, really gorgeous, like sad, um, sort of heartbreaking second movement. And then these really fun, like playful interjections with the piano and the orchestra um, in the first and the third movements. It's a real kind of a circus piece by the end. So it's really, really fun. And lots of that kind of irony and wit and humour in there that you would expect from Shostakovich. So... I think those are three incredibly contrasting pieces. Um, but that, yeah, I think I would take those to my desert island. You could be very happy on your desert island with those three pieces. Yeah, exactly. There's something in there for every mood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> However you're feeling. Exactly. <laughs> so moving on to venues for a set, because obviously being a professional musician, you get the chance to perform in some incredible venues across the world. Um, it'd be interesting actually to hear if there's any that you've performed in in the past that really stick out to you and then any that you kind of have in your forefront of your mind that you really would love to perform in at some point? Yeah, I, I think without a doubt the most spectacular venue that I've performed in so far has been the Royal Albert Hall. Um, acoustically, it's probably not the number one hall in the world, but there's something about the atmosphere in the Royal Albert Hall that's just, that just hits differently. Um, and I was very fortunate to play the Haydn um, at the proms there a few years ago. And I will never forget that 
atmosphere of just walking out on stage. And it was, um, it was one of the 10 pieces proms. So the hall was packed with kids and their parents and teachers and schools. And it was just so, it was completely, completely full. It was broadcast on the radio and on the TV and just, you know, thousands of people um, watching. And I just sort of, it was just the most amazing atmosphere of any concert. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping to, looking forward to going back mm. sometime in the future, hopefully soon. Um, and then venues that I, I, trumpets always love to play in churches um, for the acoustics. So I love performing trumpet and organ concerts, especially, or sort of um, chamber music concerts with trumpet and strings, like a string quintet with harp and things like that. That's always really lovely to do in churches. It's always very enjoyable. Um, the worst acoustics for us to play in is anything that's like really dry. So I've played in a couple where it's been a, a sort of converted theatre or cinema that I had once, a converted cinema. And that was probably the worst place I've ever played. Oh, no. Because, you know, all the carpets and the, the carpeted <laughs> chairs and it, the, those sorts of like um, dance type floors with the curtains around the back and <laughs> that was just it just sucked everything out of the instrument um and then venues I'd like to go to in the future I mean there's a lot of them that are on my list um some of them I've played in with with orchestra so there's things like um the Concert Gabal, the Elf Philharmonie um some of these halls I'm really excited that I will be performing in um with piano as part of the Echo Rising Stars tour next season so 24-25 so I'm really excited to go to some of these halls um, and then I look forward to playing concertos in them after that and in the future. And I think other really iconic venues have got to be the Carnegie Hall, um, the Hollywood, Hollywood Bowl, LA Phil, you know, the Walt Disney Concert Hall. Like, that would be amazing one day. Um, and Vienna. Mm. You can't beat it. You, no. the, all those are just such exactly a, so iconic. Of, yeah, iconic halls. Yeah, I'd I'd love to be able to tick all of those off my list. I'm sure <laughs> you will. Um, I'm just keen to ask actually where you think the future of the instrument is going. Like, is there a particular trajectory or path that you see the instrument going into the future? Like, how how do you see it progressing from here? Yeah, I th I think. I think one thing I would love and I'm, I'm trying to encourage is to put the trumpet more into chamber music settings as well. Um, so I've got this new duo with, with guitar, um, trying out some stuff with harp as well and just sort of seeing what new and exciting combinations we can have. Got the string quintet, obviously piano and organ. I also have a collaboration with um, a vocal consort, the Jesualdo Six. And so that's there's six of them and me and we commissioned some pieces actually. Um, we're about to do a concert in some art in the fields, um, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, so I think, yeah, to try and expand upon the trumpet as a chamber music instrument and put it into these different chamber music contexts. I'm looking at percussion duos and, you know, I think there are lots of exciting things that and exciting areas of repertoire that we haven't been able to access yet because it's not written necessarily for the trumpet. Um, but I think that's exciting um, and something that definitely I'm, I'm exploring. Yeah. So have there been any particular challenges that you faced along the way in your career up to this point? I think that everyone faces different challenges and situations. Um, I think the path is never, never easy. Um, I would say that 
as a female trumpet soloist, there have been a few um, incidents and situations that I've had to sort of learn how to cope with and deal with. And I think I've always felt like I have to prove myself or prove to people that girls can play as loud or as high or as strong or whatever it might be as the boys can. Um, and I remember whenever we had a masterclass at the Royal Academy, I would always put down to play something that was, you know, Hindemith or Honiger, like these big, like beefy, loud, like <laughs> pieces, just so that I could stand up in front of my peers and be like, and, and to the professors as well, and be like, girls can play this too. And I remember one of them saying to me, I think maybe like 18 months into the course and being like, we, like, we get it. You, you don't need to keep proving yourself. Like, what do you want to play? Don't just feel like you have to play what you think you have to play. Um, so that was really interesting. And I kind of took a step back and said, oh, what do I actually, what do I actually want to play? And how do I want to play it? And so that was an interesting um, discovery. I think my other big challenge really was during the pandemic. Um, like so many musicians, I had no concerts for two whole six month periods. I had, I had no concerts. I had to take on a part-time job working for a book publishing company um, to pay my bills, <laughs> to pay the rent of my flat in London that I then wasn't living in because I was in lockdown at my parents in the countryside. Um, and in that, the second lockdown, I think it was, so in, in sort of March, April 2021, I had what only can be described as a kind of complete freak out and rethink and seriously contemplated leaving the industry, not playing the trumpet anymore. For me, I've always been a very kind of all or nothing. I'm 100% in or I'm completely out person. And I got to that point where I thought, you know, the future was so uncertain and I just, I wasn't sure if it was worth it anymore. If there was going to be an industry to come back to, you know, how we were going to recover, when we, any of these questions. And I just remember having a complete sort of meltdown and, and thinking, maybe this isn't it. You know, maybe, maybe what's the point? It, it all felt futile. Um, and it was a good, like, six to eight week period which it doesn't sound very long but it's a long time to completely question your entire life choices and identity and mm -hmm. you know as musicians our identity is so wrapped up in our instrument and the music that we make and our work um, and our sort of creativity so that was a really tough period um, and it but it I do think it was helpful for me in a way because it did make me really carefully consider and think about so much and like why am I doing this like what what do I want like what what do I want to achieve with this what's the point like why am I doing this and it made me really think about all those things um and so when I then decided right I will give this 100% for 18 months I kind of gave myself a little deadline 18 months see where it goes if you haven't achieved this this and that or they aren't sort of in progress by the end of the 18 months then You've done what you can do. You've given it your best shot. Um, but that was a, this a scary thing to do and, and to, to, to have to completely consider throwing in the towel. Um, but I'm very glad that I didn't at that, at that time. 
think a lot, there were a lot of like say musicians in that situation I feel like you handled it really rationally sort of saying to yourself right let's give myself this period of time 18 months to see what happens get get back into it or just just see what what happens because no one no one really knew what was going to happen <laughs> whether no. venues opened and they closed again opened closed so I feel like even though it was a really tough time for you it sounds like you handled it really rationally actually um, yeah, I, I, I was thinking about what would I do instead? And this was the thing that like, I was speaking to lots of different um, family members and friends and, and, you know, trying to get people saying, what could I do? Like, what are the other sort of jobs that are, I could even consider doing? And I went through lots and lots of different things and spoke to so many different people. And the idea of any kind of nine to five off, office sort of job, it just... Does, doesn't appeal to me at all um, and just I just knew that nothing could ever be as exciting and fulfilling and rewarding as as being a trumpet soloist and and you know I'm so lucky I get to travel so much which I love and meet new people and explore new cities and cultures and share music and meet the local musicians I'm, I'm doing since the pandemic, I've been doing a lot more educational work and I'm starting to do more charity work as well now, which I'm really excited about, just connecting people and helping improve people's lives with music, um, obviously, especially brass instruments and, and the trumpet. Um, so I think it re also really helped clarify those kinds of things for me as well. That is sadly it for this episode of the Culture Bar podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. I'd like to thank Matilda for joining us for this particular podcast and you can visit harrisonparrot.com for more information. Do also take a look at the rest of our podcast for more on important topics in the arts and music world. See you soon.